everybody. Welcome back to the Jake Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Jake Brainy. It is Thursday, March 28th. March just flew by this month. It was a crazy month. Uh, episode 73 of the Jake, which uh, most of you know is a very special episode for me because it's Joe Thomas's number. I have Joe Thomas's jersey hanging in the rafters, signed by JT himself. Named my cat after Joe Thomas. Uh, so yeah, so Joe Thomas is a favorite player of mine. Uh, I used to name all the all the episodes after former Browns, but uh, that lost a lot of people's interest. But this one's special. It's episode 73. We're trucking along. We're almost at season three of the Jake podcast. That's a, about a month away. We always start on the NFL draft, but you know we got a month till the draft. We've got a month till Avengers. We've got a couple weeks till Game of Thrones. It's going to be a fun month. March March flew by. April's going to fly by even faster. But um, for Joe Thomas episode, I'm going to do a nice little quick top five for you all. Uh, it's not going to be the real top five. We've got a lot of sports to get to this episode. But for those wondering, Joe Thomas, yes, he's my favorite offensive lineman. But if I did a top five offensive lineman, yeah, I'm an offensive lineman. I was left tackle in high school and college. If I did my top five offensive linemen, period, you know it's a, it's a tough call, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna try and we're gonna try and and like decipher through it, right? Okay, so number five, Johnny Greco. All right, a lot of you have heard of John Greco. He was a Cleveland Brown, uh, jumped around. He's on the Rams, on the Giants, but little known fact, John Greco is actually my cousin. Uh, yeah cousins with a Cleveland Brown he uh he's actually my dad's cousin but uh you know I think that makes him my second cousin but whatever uh regardless uh he's on the Brainy family side I think he's actually one of the Turpaks uh, which is my grandmother's last name but pretty cool to have uh you know blood on the Cleveland Browns and he was part of some really good offensive lines Mitchell Schwartz and uh Alex Mack and of course Joe Thomas and and young Joel Batonio on that line. That line was awesome. Really crushed it for Brian Hoyer. And I mean, had Johnny Manziel kept his head on straight, he had a great offensive line in front of him. And uh, yeah, so John Greco, number five. Number four, Lou the Toe Groza. All right, so loved me some Lou Groza. The name, the Lou Groza Award goes to the best place kicker, but. He was actually an offensive lineman for the Browns, some very good Browns teams. And the nickname, The Toe, just really sticks with them. Obviously, a good fit for this uh, uh, for this list. All right, number three. This one was tough. Um, I'm kind of going with like a like a semi, like a tie here. I really liked Nick Mangold. Uh, he wasn't on the list, but number three reminds me a lot of Nick Mangold. Uh, Jeff Saturday. You know, when I first started playing offensive line, when I first started playing football, Jeff Saturday was a very important offensive lineman in the league. You know, Peyton Manning was cruising. He was, you know, at the top of his game. And all I knew is that Jeff Saturday was one of his, like, most trusted teammates. And while he didn't get a lot of credit uh, for being a very good center, he was always on top of his game. He was a very smart player. And, and that kind of, like, you know, had a great influence on me because – you know, I knew I would, uh, if I was never going to be the fastest or the strongest or the, like the biggest lineman, uh, it would always help to have good technique and to be smart out there. And I feel like that was a big part of my game, you know, when I was playing. So, uh, Jeff Saturday, big influence to me and number three on my list. All right. Number two, big Q Quentin Nelson. Yeah. So never actually a teammate of mine, but an alumni of Red Bank Catholic uh, comes from a great family, the the Nelson family and and Galante family. Great people, love love them. They're awesome. Uh, they they treat me and my family very nicely. When we went to go visit them, uh, we went to Quinton's final game at Notre Dame, uh, the senior game against Navy in the rain. But we stayed with the Nelson family at their home in Syracuse, Indiana. It was an unbelievable home. They're such a fun group of people, and Quinton. Even though he only has one year in the league, you just watch him and you're like, this guy is a brick wall turned into a human being. And he runs through people and there's no running through him. 
Uh, he's going to be great in the NFL for a really long time. And the fact that we went to the same high school, he won a state championship with Red Bank Catholic. I, I mean, uh, like, obviously he's going to be up here on this list because what what a great kid, and, and I'm proud of him. Like, that's awesome. He's doing my, uh, doing my high school well. So, And uh, finally, number one, I mean, this you know comes as no surprise. Number one is Joe Thomas. Uh, possibly my favorite football player of all time. I think he is my favorite football player of all time. Uh, you know, give it a couple couple months and maybe Baker Mayfield will be. But Joe Thomas, like I said, named my cat after him. Got this jersey signed, hanging in the in the basement. Uh, he's 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 just the man. And you know what? He's got a great podcast. Him and Hawk really have a good dynamic going on and they're a lot of fun. He's done a great job. I, I hope he has a great post playing career because he's very talented and he's got a knack for it. So, so yeah, so those are my top five offensive linemen. Uh, there are plenty out there that are better than some of the guys on the list, but it, you know, each of them brings something to me personally. Uh, anyway, to jump right into the news where this is a straight up sports episode, uh, breaking news. Jordan Howard was just traded to the Eagles from the bears. Um, a lot of people, you know, think, okay, they're getting a 2020 fifth or sixth round pick, the Bears are. And that doesn't seem like a lot for a starting running back in the NFL, but you got to think about it. Starting running backs in the NFL are very easy to come by these days. You shouldn't, A, have to pay them big bucks unless they are a real difference maker, which, to be honest, there aren't many difference-making running backs in the NFL. There's probably like four or five. Jordan Howard's not one of them. So are you really going to show like you know give a lot of cap room to this guy who you really don't need when the bears offenses rotate guys in get guys that can catch the ball and break tackles and make big plays and have mitch trubisky dump and and dump and dump and jordan howard just isn't that guy they're better off getting a draft pick spending a late round pick on another running back and keep the stable going they still have mike davis they still have Tariq cohen i mean the bears don't need jordan howard Eagles, I, do, do they need him? I guess he he's just another guy to their stable, but it's just a late round pick. So this is like a nothing trade for me. This isn't, you know, this doesn't shake the earth like Odell Beckham or or Antonio Brown did. But uh, it's just an interesting news because this brings out what does running back bring to your team? You know, the the Eagles are competing right now, so going for a running back helps. Uh, the Bears didn't see him in the plans, so. Instead of cutting, they got an additional pick. So I kind of like both trades for the trade for both teams. I'll give it like a pretty much a B on both sides. You know, it's again, not really a game changer, but you do have to consider what running back does. You know, the Giants drafted Saquon Barkley number two overall without a quarterback. Now, if they get a quarterback, he's a great asset to have. But without a quarterback, you're basically wasting a great career of a running back because you have Eli Manning taking passes right now. So, I don't know. It's just something to think about. Uh, that's why when the Browns comes time to train, to paying Nick Chubb, it might be best to just let him go. Um, you know, they, they, they don't use Duke Johnson. He's making $5 million a year. Uh, Kareem Hunt making $1 million to be here, but he's going to be suspended for eight games. You know, and they're very replaceable players. Running backs... You get new guys every year coming into the league that are playing well. You really don't need to be showing, you know, a big portion of your salary to these guys that are going to be replaced and aren't even going to play until they're 30 or or are going to be playing until they're 30 and then they're done. Just something to think about. All right. Um, Also in the NFL, big rule change. All right. There was a pass interference rule change that went through 31 to 1 in the owner's votes. The only owner to vote against it was Mike Brown of the Cincinnati Bengals, which shouldn't come as any surprise because Mike Brown votes against everything. He is an old man and doesn't like change. But the rule changes tell me a couple things. Number one, you can review, like you can challenge a pass interference penalty, and a non-call. That's the big one, is you can throw a flag saying, I want a flag thrown on that because it was pass interference, okay? 
And then you can also say, hey, I don't think it was pass interference. This is my challenge. Now, this doesn't change the amount of challenge flags you have. It doesn't change the under two minute review review rule. Like if the booth wants to review it under two minutes, that's on the booth. Uh, so does it make the game much longer? Not a whole lot. It it'll drag out the last two minutes. I mean, every hail mary will will go to review now, and they're gonna find things on these hail marys that are gonna drag these games out. There's gonna be a couple games where they decide to put the ball on the one yard line because somebody was tugging a little bit. And you know what? My biggest problem is the NFL caved. And this is a huge cave to allow them to basically protest penalties. It's good. It starts with pass interference. The next is going to be helmet to helmet, or it's going to be roughing the passer. And when you slow all these things down, they always look more egregious. You slow down a late hit, it looks that much later because it took slow. It was or it was slow. Then what are they going to um, review offsides? Review holding? There's holding on every play. It, it, it's it's just a slippery slope, and they got to be very careful. The NFL caved, and now everyone's going to say, all right, you can review penalties. We're not going to stop. So while I don't think it's going to expand games all that much, the last two minutes of the game are going to be kind of brutal to watch because it is just going to be a slow bleed. And I think the NFL is going to learn their lesson this year on that. Um, I'm, I'm actually okay with the reviewing process. I just think they need to speed it up. I'm okay with them reviewing these penalties and these rules. But they need to speed it up so that the moment this happens, let's say Baker Maker, Baker Mayfield throws a pass down the sideline, nothing gets called. All right. There should already but Baker Mayfield is yelling for a call. He thinks that Odell Beckham was held and that pass interference should have been called. Brown should have the first down at the 20-yard line. Before they even go to review it there should already be a ref upstairs reviewing this so that they should have basically their result by the time that they call up and say, hey, we're going to look at that play. And they go, we're looking at it right now, and we have determined it is a penalty. So that you don't even need to cut to commercial. You don't need to look at this 3,000 times. You just know it. There's a ref upstairs, and he has to answer the questions after the game because you make him available to the media then it it solves a lot of these questions of what was called why was it called and stuff like that um i think this is a simple fix i think they just need to get control of it they keep on trying to put a bullet uh, a band-aid over a bullet hole and it's just not working get get on top of it the right way and this can be done well all right i just think it's 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 just getting it's a slippery slope if you don't do it right. But if you do it right, it's good. It can be good. Okay, and finally, um, there's something going around on Twitter right now. It's a NFL fan base rankings. Uh, Fox News, or not Fox News, Fox Sports put this out saying, hey, here are the 32 teams, bracket style, because it's March and March Madness, ranked all of them based on how many Twitter followers each fan, each team has on Twitter. So like, you know, the Eagles Twitter account has so and so followers, uh, and ranked them basically doing four regions of eight teams each and had them square off and do a voting of who do you think has the best fan base? And there's been a few upsets. The Cowboys were a one seed that lost to an eight seed Titans. Uh, and then the Titans took out the Vikings um, there have been a couple, a couple upset around, around, you know, who I originally thought were going to be higher seated, but we are looking at the elite eight. The Buffalo bills are in a very tight race with this, the new Orleans saints, Chicago bears kind of pulling away from, uh, the Carolina Panthers who were a surprise to get there too. The Indianapolis Colts and Tennessee Titans are in a very tight battle as well, which was surprising. I didn't think either of those teams would be here, but, you know, upsets. And, of course, the Philadelphia Eagles, who were one of the one seeds, taken on the Cleveland Browns and trailed by just a little bit. Now, I know what you're thinking. The Browns, 
you know, oh, they're the hot team recently. But no, 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 no. This isn't a recent thing. The Browns might be sixth in seeding because of, you know, how many followers they have and stuff like that. But Browns Twitter can come alive when you need it. Number one, we take to the internet a lot because we have a lot of frustrations, a lot of pent-up energy. So we go to Twitter a lot. We know how to share these things. And internet polls, we're well used to this. Remember the Madden cover in 2012? Right? Peyton Hillis won. How Peyton Hillis won? He had one good year of his career ever. But people liked it. You know, white running back. He's like basically the white rhino here. And Browns fans really know how to carry these votes because they know how to make fun of themselves. We know what, like, we know it's ridiculous. But we accept that. And that's why we have so many good t-shirts and shit like that. That's a lot of fun. All right. And the next part about this is also, you know, they are the hot team coming up, right? A lot of people are jumping on the Browns bandwagon, which is crazy that Eagles fans are now like saying, oh, this is all NFC East teams voting against us as these quote unquote Browns fans. Like, like we've always been here. We were here when we didn't even have a team in the mid-90s, all right? Don't test Brown fan loyalty just because, you know, they're now good. Like, give us our credit. We've been here the whole time. I was sitting through some really shitty seasons so that I could be here for these stupid Twitter votes. But regardless, it's a tight vote. The Browns are leading by a little bit. I think they're going to win this whole thing. Uh, I'm a little surprised this one's as tight as it is. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but we'll see tomorrow when uh, Friday when they release the uh, who's in the final four. And I think uh, the Browns will win it all at that point. Anyway, uh, enough NFL for now. Going to get back to that in a little bit. Fun thing today is that it's opening day. MLB. Now, everybody's played a game. Uh, a couple teams have played two or three games. But I figured it's still fine to do prediction episode right now. So um, going into my MLB predictions, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and act like last year when I knew everything uh, because I didn't know anything. Uh, I did nail the Brewers pick. That was that was a pretty good one by me. But what I will say is this. Uh, I think the American League is going to be very similar to what it was last year. I think the Yankees and the Red Sox will still find their way to the playoffs. I think the Yankees are going to win the division. The Red Sox will be a wildcard team. I think the Astros and Mariners will also find a way to the playoffs. Uh, Astros winning the division. Mariners being a wild card. You could possibly flip them based on how the Mariners have looked so far. Um, and then also, even though they got rid of Robinson Cano and Nelson Cruz, they still look like they're going to be a tough, tough out. And then the AL Central, I've got the Indians winning the league. I got them winning 92 games. They're going to hold off the Twins, even though they lost game one today to Minnesota. Uh, Barrios pitched amazing. He's the best pitcher in the American League Central that's not in Cleveland. And you know what? They're going to have to play him four to five times this year. They got rid of it on opening day when usually the Indians' bats suck anyway. Might as well knock it out. So. It's fine. They're down 0-1 in the season, but I still think they're going to win the division, and I think they're going to win the American League because I think that pitching and experience is going to come huge in the playoffs this year, and we're going to finally see the Indians break through and win the World Series. Uh, that's just that's just me. I got Frankie Lindor as the team MVP, finishing top three in MVP votes. I've got Corey Kluber, as the team's ace, even though there's a good chance he's the third best pitcher on this team this year. I think Trevor Bauer actually has the best numbers of any pitcher, but right now it's just really tough to like anything Trevor Bauer's saying. He's being very difficult to root for. Uh, newcomer. I think Hanley Ramirez is going to make a big impact for this lineup. I could be very wrong. I think Hanley Ramirez goes one of two ways. He could be Austin Jackson-ish. And really help the team where when we ask him to, and be a key contributor to the lineup, or, oof, or he's like Brett Myers and he's off the team by the end of April. 
and the, the, it could go one of two ways. Um, but I think, you know what? They're only asking him to be the DH. Basically, bat fifth. When guys get on base, hit the gap. Don't do much else. And I think he's going to be able to do that for them. Uh, rookie of the year, you know, it's it's going to be weird. I don't think the Indians will have anyone qualify for actual rookie, but I'm very excited for Oscar Mercado to come in. And I think him and Jake Bowers are going to be legit parts of this team going forward, even though this year might be a little bit of a uh, grind and a little bit of a learning curve type of year. But I do see those two guys being integral parts of the Indians going forward, going into the future. Um, yeah, so I, I think these are these are big things. You know, baseball season is upon us. Uh, a lot of teams made some big offseason acquisitions, made some big moves. But you know what? This this opening day really gets you in the right mood. Uh, I went to opening day last year. Cleveland Indians uh, versus the Kansas City Royals is the first time I had ever gone to opening day. It was cold as shit. Uh, the weather was like mid-20s. We're wearing sweatshirts and gloves and eating just to keep us warm. Um, very uncomfortable day. But getting to see the Indians like win in person is always fun. And going to my first ever home opener, it was just a cool experience. And I really appreciated it. Uh, the McGuire family for like, you know, helping me out, letting me do that. And my cousin Adele for letting me crash at their place. So it was a very cool weekend. Just wasn't able to flip it this year because I play on a Monday. It's just, it's just a very weird, like, you know, I would have to take off two days and I got a lot of things going. I got, I got like five weddings this year. I got to go to, I can't be taking off games just to go, uh, to baseball game. But, you know, with that being said, that's kind of hypocritical because they just took off a Friday to go to Atlantic City, put some money down, and wouldn't you know it, I was dumb enough to not put money on the Indians or the Browns, which was the one thing I wanted to do when I was down there, but you know what, the sports book was so packed that I didn't really get a good look at it, and I didn't get a good opportunity and chance, because it was just way too much going on, and I'm like, you know what, I it slipped my mind. So I'll have to do it up here at Monmouth Park because I'm definitely going to be putting on money on the Browns to win the Super Bowl. I mean, I put them, I put money on them to win the division last year. They came up just short. If I put money on them to win the Super Bowl and they come up just short, I think that's a good waste of money because that means they'll be having another good season. Uh, and they'll put on some money on the Indians. Apparently, both the Indians and the Browns have the same odds to win their respective championships. Which is crazy considering two years ago the Indians were in the World Series and the Browns were winless. So think about that for a second. Pretty crazy what we've come from. Browns were 1 and 31 for two years. Indians were in the World Series, one seed in the American League, and then also winning the division the next year. Like, but somehow the Browns have found their way into into like contention it's it's a it's a really cool world i i hope everyone's getting on board because this is gonna be a lot of fun all right but uh you know my next thing for you know opening day gets you in the mood for baseball makes me makes me want to watch baseball movies right you got the natural you got for love of the game that's a good one too uh yeah growing up i had movies like the rookie and Little Big League, Rookie of the Year, Angels in the Outfield. There are a lot of really good baseball movies. So why don't we do a little top five baseball movies. All right. Number five. This might shake some people. Uh, I'm going with Hardball. Keanu Reeves. Great movie. I mean, first of all, his acting is like a 10 out of 10. He's a little too eccentric in it at times, but wow, Keanu just like puts on a show. And I mean, who doesn't cry when G-Baby G gets killed? Like, movie moves you. And it's about kids playing baseball. Great movie. Number four. Summer Catch. 
wild to add this to the list. But you know what? I know it's not really a good movie, but it's like a brainy family movie. And I don't know if you guys understand how, like, what that means to us. Like, there are a ton of, everybody's got, like, the family movie, right? We've seen Summer Catch, like, a thousand times. To the point where, like, I I got, like, drunk and quoted the whole thing at my friend's house one time. I really pissed off my friends. But, fun movie, Freddie Prince Jr., overacts, really gets a little too intense about Cape League baseball. It's it's fun. It's whatever. R.I.P. Brittany Murphy. Um, R.I.P. Jessica Biel's uh, acting career. Because I feel like that was the last thing she was ever in. And, uh, and yeah, you know what? It's, um, it's, it, it's a fine movie. If you want to criticize me because it has like a 2.0 on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever, go ahead. But it's just, it means something different to me because I know every line of the movie. And as corny as it is, sometimes baseball should be corny. Number three, Moneyball. Great movie. Um, great acting performance by Brad Pitt. It's about the 2002 Oakland A's, which was a team I actually really liked a lot because, A, I didn't really know much about the Oakland A's, uh, but as I was like, this was before I was playing football, I only had baseball, and I was really into baseball at the time. I liked the A's logo. I liked the fact that the A's weren't the Yankees. I think that was my favorite part about them was they were the best chance of the Yankees not winning the World Series was the A's beating them. And growing up in New Jersey and around Yankee fans all the time, I was like, you know what? If the Indians can't beat them, maybe the A's can do it. So I became a quick fan of that A's team. I really liked it. The movie surrounded the actions of Billy Bean having to replace some all-stars that left the team. Johnny Damon, Jason Isringhausen. Um, Earlier than that, Mark McGuire that they had to replace. But the big one was Jason Giambi, who went to the Yankees too. Um, it's a good movie. It's, it, I mean, a little bit fictional at some points, but they talk about how they go into this huge winning streak, which is very random at times, but it's just a cool movie. You get into it. I like it. I like Moneyball. And I like the book. There aren't a lot of books that I like reading, but I actually enjoyed reading that book. I wish that they went into, uh, Billy Bean's baseball career more in the movie. They made it like a like a 10-second montage in the movie. And it's like, man, I, I felt like that was a much more important part of the book. I feel like they needed to hit on that more. But I, you know, I guess that's the part with the problem with uh, book adaptations onto the big screen. Number two. Alright, th- these two, it, it was like a top two and then a big drop-off for me. Number two is Field of Dreams. And when when it comes to emotional movies. Field Dreams is right at the top for me. This was one of the first movies that I remember watching as like a kid. Uh, gotta love Kevin Costner. I mean, the guy is all over the map with baseball movies. Like a lot of people have their top three as Kevin Costner baseball movies. He's he's that good. But in this one, he's not actually a baseball player. He can play baseball, but he hated baseball because uh, his dad forced him to play it so much. But it's more or less a father-son tale, a coming-of-age story uh, of, like, maturity and family, and uh, I don't know. It makes me tear up every time I watch it. I feel like it's about more than just baseball, and James Earl Jones is good. It's a good movie. Uh, Field of Dreams, brainy classic again, but nothing can compare to number one. No, it's not Bull Durham. It's not Bad News Bears, it's not Fever Pitch, it's not The Sandlot, it's Major League, guys. I mean, come on. Major League, about the late 80s Indians who couldn't win shit, and then had to strip down the team because the owner died, and the playboy uh, showgirl ex-wife of Donald Phelps, the owner, now is owning the Indians. And what does she do? She wants them to move from Cleveland to Miami. You know what? Surprise, one-minute movie review starting right now. 
on Major League and why it's my number one baseball movie. Okay, so like I said, the ex, the showgirl ex-wife of Donald Phelps inherits the Indians, wants to move them to Miami, but her agreement with the league and this town of Cleveland is that she can't move them unless the attendance dips to like a severe low. So how does she do that? She gets rid of the good players, she brings in a bunch of shitty players, and she hopes for chaos and and so much distraction that they'll have no choice but to allow her to move the team to Miami. However, hijinks ensue, and it turns out these players that she put together with the manager from the minor league baseball team who sells white walls on the weekend, it all comes together to put this, you know, mishmash of players and old talent together it's great jake taylor old all-star catcher who's well past his prime pulls these guys in willie mays hayes their center fielder who's really can only run but can't hit anything they have a cuban outfielder pedro serrano who hits a fastball a quarter mile but can't hit a curveball and of course charlie sheen playing rick vaughn this wild thing pitcher who can throw the ball a million miles an hour but has no control uh very funny movie one of my top comedies ever one of my top sports movies ever my number one baseball movie ever major league not only is it all of those things because it's a funny and entertaining movie but the bias kicks in because it's about the cleveland indians and you get to see the cleveland indians actually be good I wonder if everyone thinks Major League is as good as I think because, you know, I have this completely biased view of the movie. So I'd like to hear what you guys think of Major League uh, because how am I supposed to, like, be unbiased when it's about the Indians, it's about this group that no one believes in, which is just Cleveland personified to me. So, I mean, when all this adds together, yeah, no duh, it's my number one. You know, and that's my one-minute movie review and also the end of my top five rankings. Uh, yeah. Okay, so that's enough baseball today. We've got a lot of things to get to on the NFL draft coverage. So if you're not into the NFL draft, you might want to skip around a little bit. But I think you're going to like this uh, little coverage that I do here. So today I want to talk about the defensive prospects coming into the draft, all right? We'll start with the back end. I'm going to do my top five corners and just give a little – I'm going to do top five at each position and give a little rundown of, of what, I, what I've what i seen from watching these guys and what I think is going to happen to them. All right. Uh, cornerbacks, I don't think there's some real top-end talent in this one. There's no Patrick Peterson. Uh, there's no Marcus Peters. Uh, <clears throat> I think um, there are some guys probably – three or four really good ones, and then, like, another three potential starters. But I don't see any, like, Pro Bowl talent here. Uh, It's a thin class. I think after the third round, you're basically drafting for depth and hope and a prayer. But, you know what, with cornerbacks, that can happen sometimes. It's like wide receivers where, you know what, if you draft a guy with potential and you you can really coach it up at those positions, you might find yourself with, like, a gem. So my top five corners, number five is Julian Love from Notre Dame. Uh, really is just a good all-together package. Uh, I think he's going to be not an instant starter, but he'll be starting at some point his rookie year. Uh, he's not like the fastest or the strongest, but he's a smart player, and he's going to be pretty good and, and find his way to uh, make plays on the field in really any defense. I think he's a, a solid, solid corner. Number four is Greedy Williams from LSU. A lot of people have him as number one uh, because of the physical traits and that fact that he went to LSU, but uh, he doesn't tackle well. And, like, I don't know what everyone was watching. I thought him running around at the combine was ugly. I didn't think it was that good. And to be honest, I don't see it all that much. I see flashes. But corner is not a good position to grade on flashes. It's consistency that you want. And I don't like the consistency there. And when you look into the fact that he didn't play a whole lot of great passing attacks at LSU, you know, makes you wonder 
how he's going to hold up when he's asked to be the number one corner on a number one wide receiver. So I have him as my number four because I think he's he's got a lot of talent, but I don't think he's as consistent as the top three guys. And I think that's going to be what uh, does him in a little bit. Uh, my number three corner is DeAndre Baker from UGA. A lot of bad buzz coming from him recently. He's apparently not interviewing well. And on top of the fact that he didn't have the best combine, it's going to be you know kind of like a, it's a slippery slope this time of year. You want to be careful. Uh, I still think, you know, you just put on the tape, he's a good cornerback. And lots of production. He was he was very productive at at Georgia, and even though I, I I'm not going to give him credit for facing a bunch of good quarterbacks where Greedy Williams didn't, but uh, he just seems more the part because you know there's I don't want to say Greedy Williams was like inattentive or if he like didn't show all of his heart and stuff, but he did sit out at the end of the year and and. I don't know. That always rubs me the wrong way. So I have DeAndre Baker neck and neck with Greedy Williams. But uh, number two, Justin Lane from Michigan State. Justin Lane I really like. Uh, it's always easy to be biased because of the Cleveland aspect. But he is a all-around good cornerback. Uh, always finds his way to the ball. He, again, didn't make like a ton of picks, but his hands are always on the ball. And I like that about him. I think he uh, didn't get nearly enough early praise, but now it seems like he's gaining a lot of momentum to be in a first-round discussions. And I think, uh, to be honest, I think he is going to be late first, early second. But number one, I like Byron Murphy. I, I don't care about size when it comes to cornerbacks because I think the guys who play hard and play right doesn't really matter what their size is because you need them on the field. And I'd like that about Byron Murphy. Yeah. All right, my top five safeties. Uh, I've got, for the fifth spot, is a tie with Darnell Savage from Maryland and Amani Hooker from uh, Iowa. Uh, to be honest, I like Savage more. I just wanted to include Hooker on this because I uh, th- there's... I feel like there's a drop after these six, and I, I just wanted to include Amani Hooker. But I like Savage. I feel like he just he just he's flying. He's a bullet when he when he sees the ball, he just flies to the ball, and I like that about him a lot. And he tested really well at the combine. I think he's gonna fit on any defense as a fifth defensive back right away. Uh Number four is Deontay Thompson from Alabama. Again, you're going to see you know, the free-ranging type of safety with him. Um, a lot of people are going to probably pump him up because he went to Bama, and I think that's why he gets selected earlier than maybe he should. But still, he does have all the traits, and he's a Nick Saban coach guy. All right, number three is Juan Thornhill uh, from UVA. Like Juan Thornhill a lot. Seems like a very well all around put together safety. And he's not getting nearly as much love as his play would indicate. I think he reminds me a lot of Mike Adams that the Browns had for a while, where he was just a very dependable guy, always found himself around the ball and uh, was making plays, even though he wasn't the flashiest of guys. I like Thornhill a lot. I'm I'm excited. I think uh, the Browns are going to have him uh, in talks at 49 when the Browns first pick. And I would love that because I think uh, he would fill in for Jarrell Peppers pretty well. Number two is Jonathan Abram. You know, if you use Abram right, he's going to run downfield and just crack the living hell out of whoever has the ball. I think he'd be the best fit for the Browns in terms of like adding a safety. I just don't think he's going to be available. I think he's going to be a first-round pick. And, you know, he probably deserves it. If you use him right, he's going to be the most effective safety in this draft class. But my number one guy, and I don't think anyone else has him at number one, which makes me excited, Taylor Rapp has years of experience 
always finds his way around the ball. It's like he knows what the quarterback's going to do before the play starts, and I think that is the best trait a safety could have. Uh, he doesn't miss tackles. He's been a part of a pretty good Washington defense for a couple years now. And, you know, I just think the safety position, what I want is security and reliability, and, and that's his game 100%. I think he's going to be a second-round pick, and if he's there at 49, that'd be an awesome pick for the Browns. Uh, for the D-backs, the, you know, the first off the board, I think Greedy Williams will be the first cornerback taken, and I think Abram will be the first safety taken. Probably Williams I see going in the early teens. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe like that 12 to 14 range, and then Abram I see going in the early 20s. For when these guys start going. Uh, my favorites. I just said. you know, Justin Lane for Michigan State. I, I just love the idea of coupling. Denzel Ward and Justin Lane. Two Cleveland kids. In the Browns secondary. Um, Big 10 corners. Young. They played against each other. In high school and college. Love, love the idea of, of adding them. So Justin Lane's my personal fave. And, uh, and Taylor Rapp, like I said, he's my number one. Even if he wasn't my number one rated, uh, he's still my favorite because of I just think he's so underrated. And then my sleepers, uh, I really like Jimmy Moreland from James Madison. I forget who turned me on to him like a month ago. But ever since then, I'm like, you know what? I like him. I think it, I love when you get a small school DB who's not getting enough talk it's like, you know, if he learns your scheme, he's got the size and the speed, we might have something here. And no one's talking about him. And then safety I really like, um, you know, kind of basically the opposite of Jimmy Moreland is Sheldrick Redwine from Miami. Uh, big school, big player, because he made some big plays for that uh, cha uh, turnover chain defense. And I think, again, you got to use him right because he's super athletic and he hits hard, but he's a limited safety. And I think, you know what, if, if he's a day three pick and you use your day three picks right, you can find guys to be very effective on your football team. All right, moving over to linebackers. Number five linebacker is Joe Giles Harris or Joe Giles Harris from Duke. Uh, a solid all-around put-together linebacker. Doesn't really have any deficiencies in his game. Uh, I think he's safe. Number four is Blake Cashman from Minnesota. Again, I, I liken Blake Cashman a lot to Joe Schobert, where he's not like he's he's super athletic, and I think that's going to play well in today's NFL, which is why he tested so well at, at the combine, and I think that pushes him up into that second round range. Uh, I think he's where he lacks a little bit with like size and strength, he makes up for it with intelligence. And I think that can take you a long way in the NFL. Uh, number three is Mac Wilson from Bama. I think he's the clear cut three because he's not nearly as good as one and two, but he's pretty much the best of the rest in terms of reliability, calling out the defense, prototypical Mike linebacker. He's your guy. You know, he's nothing spectacular, but if you need a Mike linebacker and you're drafting in that 40 range, here's this is you. Number two, I mean, we're, we're jumping all the way into the teens right now. I think Devin Bush from Michigan is going to be in the talks for one of the best players in this draft when it's all said and done. Right now, he could be like the leader of any defense, and I think he's pretty safe. Whereas this next guy might be a boom and bust kind of guy. But I think Devin Bush, no matter where he goes, and I'm scared that's going to be Pittsburgh, I really want someone to take him early so that the Steelers don't get him. Because I think that could be a problem if the Steelers or the Ravens get Devin Bush. Uh, but he is. He, he's, that's what he's going to be. He's going to be a problem for whoever drafts him. He's going to be their leader, emotional leader on defense. But number one, I've got Devin White from LSU. Uh, he's the most athletic in the class. He is an absolute freak. He can sprint from sideline to sideline and co basically cover everything. 
you know, the only thing is his discipline, you know, makes you wonder like, oh, does he overreact to things? And, um, you know, I don't have any criticisms of him. He's my number one linebacker because I think he's an absolute freak. The one thing I do like about Bush, though, is that he just seems like he has better instincts. Although, everything else, I'm going with Devin, Devin White. I think if you took him at number five, Tampa Bay, or number four, Oakland, that'd be pretty high to take a linebacker, but this is the type of linebacker you take it on. You know, this isn't Aaron Curry. This is a guy who, like, is an absolute freak and went to LSU and proved it. Um... My first off the board, I definitely think is going to be Devin White. I think he's going to be in that 4-5 range. I, I I honestly don't even think he's going to get past Tampa Bay at 5. Uh, my favorite for the um, in the draft, yeah, it's a, it's a tough call. I think we're going to go with Devin Bush because for the longest time, I was thinking at 17, that was going to be uh, like in the talks for the Browns. Uh, some people who have him in the second round, I think that's hilarious. This guy, he's just going to be really good. He's going to be a very good linebacker for a long time. Um, and then my sleeper, I like Terrell Hanks from New Mexico State. I saw him at first at the Senior Bowl and just loved a lot of things about his game. Um, now, he's going to be he on the undersized of things because I, I believe he was a safety like two years ago. Um, but... It just shows why he flies around so well. He seems like he can be like the captain of a defense. And as a day three guy, you're going to get a pretty good special teamer at the very least. And at the most, who knows, maybe you get a steal and a starting linebacker one day. Because I think Hanks has that type of um, fire in him to, to become one of those guys. All right, moving to the line. I'm going to start with the edge guys. Edge is a great class this year, just like the interior D-line. But uh, I'm still going to only do five. My number five is Rashawn Gary from uh, Michigan. There are a lot of things I don't like about Rashawn Gary. I didn't want to have him in my top five, but at the end of the day, he tested too well, his size is too good, and he could fit all along the line in different fronts. So if you have a 3-4, I, I really like him as a 3-4 end, uh, even though... You know, you're going to be taking him in the first round. He's not going to be putting up big numbers if he's a 3-4 end. So, you know, and that was the thing at Michigan was he didn't put up a ton of numbers, but they asked him to do a lot of things that don't rec don't get you numbers. So I think someone's going to end up with him. I think he's going to be drafted. He's going to be overdrafted. I think he's going to be a top 10 pick, and I don't think he deserves that. But I just think that's the way the league is going. Montez Sweat for Mississippi State. Really like Montez Sweat. He was a guy who showed up at the at the Senior Bowl and was probably the most impressive player at the Senior Bowl. Um, I think he's just a prototypical defensive end. Is he as good as some of these other ends that have come out recently? Like Clowney and Garrett and the Bosa brothers and Nick Chubb. Or not Nick Chubb. Uh, Bradley Chubb. No, he's not on that ring of guys. And Khalil Mack. No, he's a step down from them, but I think he's better than Marcus Davenport was last year. I think he's in that range of guys that's like, listen, maybe you're not getting the absolute stud, but you're getting a good starting defensive end with upside. And I like Montez Sweat. And I like every like every time I heard him interview, it, that's a guy you like. You know, Adam Lefko said, Lefko PR, go to like a hospital and take pictures with kids and stuff. Show that you can be the guy because, you know, something about him right now doesn't scream the guy because you're going to be taking him in the first round. You're going to say, hey, listen, this is the face of our defense. You want him to show that he can be the face of your defense. So I'm agreeing with Lefko there. Go out there and show that you can be the guy. Top three is where it gets fun, though. Uh, Josh Allen from Kentucky, sack artist. Uh, I think he's he plays stiff. I'm like one of the only people who says that, so maybe I'm wrong. But just when I watch him play, I'm like, I don't, I, I, I wish he would be more fluid. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I've saw him, I've seen him too much that it just looks robotic at this point. But he has a great speed rush. He uses his hands really well, which I think is great for a pass rusher. 
And uh, I, I think he, I mean, he's in play at number three for the Jets. Pretty crazy because, uh, you know, it's in such a deep defensive line class. You're going with the one guy that needs to be able to stand up because uh, that's what he did at Kentucky. But, you know what, if you find the right home for Josh Allen, Kentucky, I think he could be a double-digit sack guy in the NFL. Von Miller-esque. Not to the same talent, but that's his same style of game. Very much like Von, Von Miller. Uh, number two is Brian Burns from Florida State. I don't know how this guy is so under the radar. He is a freak. When he was running drills at the Combine, he looked like he was a wide receiver. That's how fluid he was. At Florida State, he didn't have all the numbers that you want to see at those big schools, but what I'll say is he is a beast. He is a monster, and I think he's going to make one team really happy because I think he doesn't get drafted as the second-best edge guy. I think he gets drafted as the fifth or sixth edge guy, which means end of the first round, someone's going to get him. And I'm afraid it's going to be one of those playoff teams that grabs him and says, nope, he's going to be our edge for the next decade. You know, maybe the Chiefs, maybe the Colts. You know, if he's available for the Colts, I think that'd be a great pick. Uh, number one, this isn't a surprise, is Nick Bosa from Ohio State. He just has way too much going for him. Um, if you need to draft a defensive player in this draft, I don't even care what your needs are. It should be Bosa. You know, after, you know, the only players I would take in front of Bosa are quarterbacks. You know, that's just, and that's just because of the importance of the position. I don't even think Kyler Murray or, you know, Haskins or any of the quarterbacks are on the same level as Bosa talent-wise. So if you're just drafting the best player, it's Nick Bosa. He's going to have a very steady career. I don't think he's as good as Joey Bosa or Miles Garrett or Jadavion Clowney. I think he's right around Bradley Chubb's grade. Probably a little ahead of Bradley Chubb. And, uh, yeah, I think he's, if he's not the first overall pick, he's the second. Uh, I, I see him going to the San Francisco 49ers. All right. Uh, the Yeah, and like I said, the first one off the board is definitely going to be Bosa because he might be the first pick. My favorite, told you, Burns. He's going to make somebody really happy. And then my sleeper is Austin Bryant from Clemson. Kind of funny to have a Clemson guy be your sleeper. But, you know, on such a packed defensive line, he really wasn't getting the same love. Even though he has shown in spurts the talent. Now, I told you, I don't want to see spurts from defensive backs. I want to see consistency. But at defensive end, I do want to see spurts. Because that's what I grade. I grade the good and say, can you do this more often? Because at D-back, you're never allowed to make a mistake because you'll get burned and you'll lose the, the not just the rep, but the series on that one play. Defensive end, there's less pressure to make a big, splashy play on, less, on every play because it just doesn't happen. But Brian Burns shows, or I mean, I'm sorry, Brian Burns. Uh, Austin Bryant has shown the ability to be a playmaker, and that's why I have him as my favorite sleeper because seems like he's a day three pick and if you need depth at the end i think that's your guy all right finally before i let you guys go we're going to do the interior defensive line this was so good i had to do a top 10 and even my 10th spot was up for grabs with a bunch of guys but i settled on gerald willis from miami i'm going to just run through these really quick um number nine kalen saunders from western illinois Guy's doing backflips everywhere and, and testing out of his mind. I like him a lot. Uh, number eight is Draymond Jones from Ohio State. Was much higher before, but he's very light. He doesn't defend the run too well. And to be honest, I think he's a rotational guy at best. Um, number seven, Rennell Wren, Arizona State. Big fan of Wren. I think he is a big fuck-the-play-up kind of guy. Another, you know, not trying to steal from... Adam Lefko and Chris Sims, but they love that fuck the play up stat. And I think Rennell Wren's got that type of nastiness to him. And I've heard him on a couple of interviews. I like him, and uh, I would love to see the Browns go after him. Number six, 
big Dexter Lawrence from Clemson. I mean, not many guys move the way he does at 340, but he didn't get the production that you want to see from a from in this defensive line class. Like there are just a lot of guys that are getting production from an interior pass rush, and he didn't really get that at Clemson. <coughs> Sorry, should we use the cough button? So uh, I have him at six. I think he's going to be an early second round pick. Uh, I think these top five guys all go round one. Number five is Jerry Tillery from Notre Dame. Tillery is another one where you see it in spurts, and when he's healthy, the guy is just a wreck-up-the-line kind of guy. Uh, if you slot him into your defense right now, he's going to be making some plays and helping your defensive ends out a lot because he's the type of guy that you can't do one-on-ones with. But if you go to a team where it's like, all right, you know, we need to chip on the DN. We need to help out on the left defensive end. We're, we're going to have to have the right guard take Tillery one-on-one. You're going to lose that rep most times. So I really like Tillery. He is, he's very long. He's very tall. And uh, I think he could fit on most defensive lines right away being an impact player. Uh, number four, Jeffrey Simmons from Mich- uh, Mississippi State. Simmons obviously... Uh, has the checkered past, you know, in high school, he got in the fight with the girl, and then he tore his ACL right before the combine. So he's going to be out and sidelined for a while. So whoever's drafting him is not drafting him to help their team out this year, <clears throat> which is a tough sell come draft time because you want to be getting impact players. And Jeffrey Simmons is clearly not an impact player for this year. But if you see the potential with him, You'll see that he is a top five talent. He, not just top five defensive line, top five in the draft talent. He gets upfield really fast. He doesn't get, even when you try to double team him, he can split that really well too. He's got a lot of strength to him. He's got a lot of nastiness to him. He's one of my favorite players in the draft. And uh, I think this ACL injury, I'm really interested to see how they play it out because he should be a first-round pick, but I think this might let him slide into the second round, and a team that maybe has two twos is going to make a, take a punch at him. I think he's gone around 40, but I would not be surprised if he's taken in the mid-20s. Uh, top three guys going Christian Wilkins from Clemson. Uh, talk about tenacious effort, willingness. Uh, he's everything you want in a defensive tackle. He's hard to block. He's super athletic. He's the guy that does the splits after they win national championships. I think Wilkins is going to have a very long career in the NFL. Number two. This one was tough, but I had to do it because I just couldn't take number one off the board. But number two is Ed Oliver. I think Ed Oliver has a chance to be the best player in the draft. Uh, he has so much upside. The fact that he's a little light doesn't bother me at all. You know, Aaron Don. I'm not comparing him to Errol Donald. I'm just saying Aaron Donald is able to do it at a lightweight. If Ed Oliver continues to work hard and show up and show out, he's going to be a very effective, you know, player in the NFL. And uh, I'm rooting for him because I think he's going to be great. He's another guy on my short list of guys I don't want there. When the Ravens and the Steelers are picking at at uh, twenty and twenty two, I think he could be a problem. I don't even want him there eleven when the Bengals are picking. Uh, I think he should be a top five pick. I think the Raiders should take him or this guy I'm about to talk about at number four. And I think if Devin Devin White should be in the conversation with those two uh, for the Buccaneers at five. Okay, so keep your eye on Ed Oliver. Uh, I want to see where he goes on day one. And then most importantly, number one, Quentin Williams. You know, up until the quarterback talk, he was getting a lot of first overall talk. It seems like that's faded. Don't know why. He is a massive athletic specimen. Uh, Very young. Only has a year of, of real good tape from Saban. But then again, 
you just look at how many defensive linemen have made it to the NFL recently, and yeah, you let that slide because, I mean, he wasn't going to step in front of Deron Payne. You know, he's not going to be sidelining Josh uh, John Allen. <coughs> no, he has to wait his turn. And when he got his turn, he showed up. Uh, he should be a top five pick. And he's just an absolute athletic beast. And he's huge. He's got a big career of heaven. Um, first off the board is definitely going to be Quentin Williams. Uh, I'd like it to be at Oliver, but it's just not going to work that way. My favorite, it's tough to really pick a favorite. I love Jeffrey Simmons and Jerry Tillery. Uh, I love Rennell Wren, but Ed Oliver's my guy. Uh, when the Browns were at 17, I was hoping Oliver was going to be there every single time. Now, Browns aren't at 17 anymore, but they do have a shiny new piece of Odell Beckham. Uh, I'm hoping they get a couple of these sleeper guys later in the draft. My favorite sleeper is Michael Dogby from Temple. Uh, another guy that's just super athletic and really just like like a physical specimen. Like you, you look at him and you say, how is he a defensive tackle? The way he moves, he weighs over 300 pounds. Like what is this guy that's going on? So I'd like him. I think, you know, he. I've seen him way too low on some of these reports that he's going sixth round. I think he is a fourth to fifth round talent right now with potential to be better. And I think it's looking like he's going to be a day three pick anyway. So interesting stuff. I am so excited for the draft. It's less than a month away. I I mean, I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch it live or if I'm going, I don't really know what I'm doing. So it's going to be weird. I'm probably not going to live simulcast this year. But if you have any questions about the draft, you hit me up. I want to talk draft. I'm going to be doing my offensive players next week. And uh, we've got a lot of things going on with baseball, with the NCAA tournament. With Endgame, Game of Thrones, lots of fun stuff coming in this month of April. All right, everyone, thanks for listening. Kept you a little longer than I thought, but uh, it's late. It's time to go to bed because I am tired. All right, see you guys next week.